Hello, welcome to another episode of Fill the Screams Podcast. Today we'll be covering Friday the 13th Part 5. Part 5 is a divisive film among the fans. Some people love it, some people hate it. I tend to be in the crowd that I actually do kind of like this film. I think it's a very fun film. Whenever they wrapped up Part 2 of this franchise, they were going to do the same plot that's going on in this movie... They were going to do that with Ginny, and they were going to have her come back and be part of a mental institution. And then it was going to be kind of like another Who Did It film, or maybe they would have brought back Jason. But she wasn't going to come back, so then they kind of repeated the formula number three, and they rolled with it with number four. And by the time this movie rolled around, they were like, hey, you remember that plot device we're going to use for part three? Well, let's go ahead and use that now. So they take the character of Tommy Jarvis... Corey Feldman returns for a brief moment, and they use his character to kind of lead into the suspense of, is he crazy, does he become the killer? And, you know, if you were new to this movie, you know, that could be a plausible thing that could happen. I mean, they kind of tease at the end of 4 when they had him stare into the camera. So I do like the approach that they use for this film. They make this movie a whodidit type movie, again, going back to its roots of part one. And I think it's a good location to have that type of plot. I mean, a a little mental institution to where a lot of the main characters, you know, there's something wrong with them to a degree. I mean, the film opens up with this annoying, chubby guy with chocolate, annoying the crap out of everyone, going up to girls, hanging up sheets, getting them dirty, getting them covered in chocolate. Finally, he goes up to the wrong dude, he's chopping wood, and he just kills him with an axe, right from the get-go. Something that kind of sets the tone of like, okay, it could be any of these people. Where I do think this movie does draw criticism, and it does draw its haters, is because they mess up the who did it system. Just like part one. You know, part one, we go through this whole entire movie, we have all these counselors, and you're like, oh, who could who could have done it? And then a lady named Pam shows up. And the only hint of that is you get a little campfire story and, you know, and then that's her. Like, that she's the killer. Surprise. And it kind of ruins it. It kind of sucks. Um, and in this movie, you know, the ambulance driver, the, the paramedic of the, fat guy, of the fat kid who got killed by an axe because he was sloppy with chocolate... That's just kind of a bummer of a reveal. You almost kind of wish it was like one of the main cast, or imagine even if it was Tommy, like how mind-blowing that would be. They give hints of it, they tease it, that never happens. It's the paramedic who you see about two or three scenes, one of them after his son's murdered, he's just like staring ahead, this big crazy scare stare. And then another scene, the sheriff's talking, talking about how the killer could come back and he kind of looks at the sheriff and he goes are you talking to me sheriff and the sheriff's like no and then he just stares ahead again his name is Roy but I mean the reveal's weak if you're going to do a who did it film it's always nice to have one of the main characters one of the people who you actually think that might have done it that would be nice but they don't do that so I could see why it gets its criticism this movie was directed by Danny Steinman Danny Steinman, he had former work in uh, basically a soft a softcore porn movie. And they hired him to make this movie. And I guess during the casting process, a lot of the people claimed that 
he was hiring actresses by the size of their breast and not their actual acting skills, whatever you want to call that. And that's how he kind of hired for scenes. And there's a little bit in the documentary, Crystal Memories of Camp Crystal Lake. I, I butchered that. But if you watched it, you know what I'm talking about. But they talked about how his uh, sex scenes, when he filmed it, he was filming it like a porn. He was yelling at the actor to slap her butt and play with her. And I guess these scenes went on and on and on. And the editor who was watching the scene go down, he was just thinking to himself, like, oh my gosh, how am I going to cut this down to... It's going to be an actual scene that we can show. And I mean, to this guy's credit, it does seem like he had a game plan as far as what he can show in theaters. He used a lot of nudity, and a lot of the kill scenes were really graphic and really gory. And I guess he basically went into a bidding war with the people who censor films, because they're really nitpicky. And I mean, you'll see in like the next two movies, I mean, that, that film got neutered pretty good and it suffered because of it but I mean this movie they went back and forth nine different times he sent in nine different films of just trying to negotiate like okay if we remove a little bit of this scene can we have this scene in the movie and that's how he was able to get like a lot of blood and gore into his movie which is I I think it's really smart I think directors should do that more often so I mean as much as this guy is knocked down and criticized and people saying he's trying to make a porn film i mean he handled the censorship pretty well i mean there's a scene to where one of the characters he gets like a belt or something strapped to his head to a tree and he tightens it now granted when they film it he twists it the wrong way but i mean it's a friday the 13th movie we let that go But when he, I guess when they did, there's lots and lots of blood in that scene. And they took out that blood. He he never intended to have all that blood in that scene. But that was one of his negotiating points. Was, well, I'll remove the blood from this scene if we can keep this bits here. And I think that's why this movie kind of gets the rap of being the sleaziest Friday the 13th movie. Which, I mean, in my opinion, the fourth one has a lot of nudity, too. I... uh, This one's probably called sleazy just because some of the scenes, literally the camera is on naked women for long periods of time. And one of the actresses, Deborah Voorhees, who played one of the actresses, she said that during the supposed sex scene where she was naked, like that, she did a 13 hour shoot that included her little scene and her death scene. Then her death scene included, like, blood in her eyes, and I guess she couldn't see, so she was naked, and they had to guide her around with a towel, and it was really uncomfortable. Now, one of the things I do like about this movie is it doesn't hold back on the goofy characters. It kind of knows what it is. I mean, that's why some people call it a trash here, Friday the 13th movie. You have characters like Ethel, who cusses every other word that she says. She calls her son a dildo. She's talking to a police officer, and she told him, I have a bomb on me right now. You know, just kind of stuff like that. I think having these wacky characters, they kind of make it easier to see characters fall victim to Jason without really having an emotional impact to them to where a point to where you're kind of rooting for Jason, even though this isn't really Jason, it's Roy. 
But in my head, it's Jason. I mean, he's dressed as Jason. It's basically meant to be Jason. It's just not technically Jason. And that's what gets a lot of people fired up about this movie. But if you treat it like Jason, I mean... To me, it's the same thing. The actor who was playing Jason, he studied Jason's movements. He was mimicking Jason. He wasn't mimicking Roy, the actor, the paramedic. He wasn't sitting there trying to memorize how this guy moves and turns his head as he's doing paramedic work. There was none of that. He was definitely trying to be Jason. In this movie, we got two greasers who show up just randomly. Their car breaks down. There's theories that they are gay. They're not written to be that way. You can make them like that if you want to in your head, but I mean, I, in my head, I'm like, oh, they're just greasers. But I mean, they're kind of goofy in a sense of how they act. I mean, one's got to go pee and they're yelling at each other. The other one's trying to get the car to work. He gets killed. Then that guy comes back from his pee, tries to start the car. It doesn't start, so what's he do? He sings just a little song. I mean, songs are popular in this movie. We got the kid actor, Reggie. Reggie's at this place, not because he has issues, but because his grandfather works at this little institute, this little camp place. And, I mean, you can tell that Reggie and his grandpa... They got a good relationship. Reggie's a really likable kid. One thing Friday the 13th did right. I mean, they they got really good kid actors to play the roles. You really like the kid actors when they're in these. And I mean, Reggie's brother, Demon. They meet Demon and Demon's girlfriend, Anita. They're just chilling at their little place eating all this food. And of that food is enchiladas. And I mean... It's a famous scene from this movie. Once Reggie and all of them leave, Demon holds his stomach. And he's like, oh, those damn enchiladas. And he runs to the outhouse. His girlfriend follows him there, which, I mean, to a degree, it's it's, it's kind of weird. I mean, I take it for what it is. If someone tells me their stomach's really upset, you know, my wife or whatever, I'm probably just going to leave them alone. While they're going number two. Because I'm guessing it's probably not a very good scene in there. But she goes there and she shakes the outhouse. And he's like getting all mad. And But then she cheers him up with a little song. And it's basically them two going back and forth. Going, oh baby, oh baby, oh baby. And I mean, if you've seen the movie, you know what I'm talking about. There's even a little remix on YouTube to where while they're singing it. There's like strobe lights and it kind of turns it into like a little a little bop. Um, and it goes on a while. Um, it's not bad, to be honest. Just remixing a little song between them two that lasts about 15 seconds. And it only has the lyrics, Oh Baby. Wait, no. It's Oh Baby and I think it, Ooh Baby. Sorry. Those are the change in lyrics. You got another female character who gets killed and she's doing some techno dance. She's literally just in her room doing this funky robotic type dance. And it's it's entertaining. I don't know. This movie's wacky. It's weird. It's entertaining. If you're watching that scene though to where when she finally gets killed off by Roy, when he stabs her in the chest it looks like it's just a pillow being stabbed and it looks just kind of weird. He Pins her against the wall and stabs her in the chest. It looks like a pillow. And I guess the reason for that is the director was originally going to have 
Roy stab her in the crotch. Um, and there's even a picture of the actress with a very bloodied crotch. And I guess that was one of the scenes they could not put in. So that got left on the cutting room floor. Now, talking about the main character for a bit here, Tommy. I really like Tommy in this movie. What he kind of turned into from the events of number four. I mean, it's it's hard to take a franchise whenever your main character, they kind of go through some psychological damage. You don't, you probably don't want to make it too heavy. You know, I'm looking at you, Rob Zombie, with your part two, Halloween. I mean, you make him damaged, but you still make him a likable person. And that's, that's Tommy in a nutshell in this film. He doesn't say a lot of words, I think. There's a, a statistic that if you exclude yelling and heavy breathing and just audible sounds that aren't words, Tommy says like 23 words in this film. He doesn't say a lot. But it's a lot of facial expressions that he uses. He looks cl clearly damaged. I guess the actor did a lot of studying for this film. He did not know it was going to be a Friday the 13th movie. But he does a good job of making you root for him while at the same time He's giving you vibes that, like, yeah, he could definitely be killing people. I mean, the Tommy in this film messes people up. Like, the first argument he gets into when he first gets to this place, he literally like, puts someone through a table. Like, it's WWE. The scene literally comes out of nowhere. I mean, the first time I saw it, I was like, what the? Like, I, you know, you just don't see it coming. And, I mean, even when I go back and watch it now, I mean, I, I still kind of expect it. But it still surprises me of just the suddenness of the main character to just throw people through tables. Like, this dude knows how to fight. He knows how to scrap. Tommy even gets into a fighting match with Junior, Ethel's son, later in the film. And, I mean, he beats Junior to a pulp. I mean, he beats him so bad that Junior just gets on his dirt bike or motorcycle, whatever it is. And he literally just drives around screaming, ah, just really obnoxiously. I mean, that's kind of his character. But, you know, he does that before he's killed. And I guess when he was killed, because Jason cuts off his head while he's driving the bike around. And originally the prop that was supposed to be Junior's head, it bounced like three or four times in the censorship people. One of the demands they put in the film was the head could only bounce once. Yeah, that's what they're worried about. I mean, the different and wackiness of these characters, I think, is what sets this film apart from the previous four. You know, does the other four have some goofy characters? Yeah. You know, they got Cheech and Chong in the third one. They got Shelly in the third one. I mean, I said that before, but, you know, this movie's just laid up with crazy characters. I mean, literally, there is something weird and wacky about almost all of them. But, I mean, the film itself, the way it was done, it just, it feels very different. And I think that's why people call it trashy or sleazy. It's got a different feel. Now, granted, at the very end, when they have the big confrontation with Roy, who is Jason, then it starts to become, it starts to feel like by the numbers again, by the formula. And, I mean, again, the reveal of Roy is just so, so bad. When they finally knock him out of the barn when he's dead, lying, they kind of look out and the mask is off. And I mean, Roy's literally wearing plaster around his head 
because Jason's bald, right? He's bigger and he's bald. And Roy has hair and his ears and stuff don't really match Jason's profile. So in order for them to kind of pass it off as Roy, they had to kind of sell like, well, he was wearing like this latex skin looking stuff around his face. And that's why when you watch the movie and he's wearing the hockey mask, he looks just like Jason. It seems like it just way too much that Roy went through to get revenge. I mean, if he really just wanted to take out all the people around this place, he'd probably do it without the hockey mask. But if he's going to impersonate Jason, then he'd probably just wear a hockey mask. I don't think he would go for the fake skin and all that. But, I mean, I'm not Roy, so I wouldn't know. And, of course, at the very end, they had to have a cop kind of talk to our survivors and explain to them what happened. But when he's explaining, he's really explaining to us, the audience, because... I highly doubt anyone watching this movie is like, oh my gosh, it was Roy, the the paramedic. I can't believe it. You know, the cop's like, well, you know, the guy that was murdered earlier in this film, that ended up being his kid. And, like, he, like, pulls out his wallet, and as he opens up the wallet, it's literally a picture of Roy first thing. And it's like, who has a picture of themselves in the wallet? And the answer is, probably no one, but Roy. They had to do it with Roy because you don't really remember who Roy is by this point. And they have to remind you like, hey, remember the paramedic? And that's just because it's a bad reveal. But they kind of say like, oh, that was his son and he wanted revenge. Which in the beginning of the movie, whenever he's killed by the axe, one of the cops like, oh, he never met his father. He didn't, He moved several different places and... It's just kind of like, man, this is a gigantic coincidence that Roy, who abandoned this kid, I mean, his kid was murdered in the same town to where he was a paramedic for. It's just, a, it's not a very good tie-in. It's not very well done at all. And of course, at the very end, they give us the old Tommy might be crazy after all type ending. And it kind of leaves it open-ended in case the franchise decided to take it in that direction. Which they didn't. Now, this film is called The New Beginning. I mean, it's a new beginning because it was a different take on it into which they weren't using Jason. But in a way, this film really is the new beginning for the franchise because if you look at the trajectory of the movies that come after this, yes, Jason returns. But I mean, none of them really feel like Friday the 13th, part 3, or 4, or 2. You know, if you watch part 1, part 2, part 3, part 4, all back to back to back, yeah, there's things that set the movies apart, but I feel like they all have kind of the same exact feel. And then you run into this one, which is kind of that trashy type feel to it. There's a lot of goofy characters. The movie's kind of goofy itself. And then you move on to 6, which is kind of... A satire base on that film. You know, and then after that, you go into the gimmick territory. Where it's like, Carrie versus Jason. And then Jason goes to Manhattan. And then Jason goes to Hell. And Freddy versus Jason. So, I mean, like, really this was a turning point for the franchise. Like, this movie made a lot of money. But not a lot of people didn't like that Jason wasn't in it. So Jason had to come back. But they made it different. So in a way, this was a new beginning for the franchise, for better or worse. 
To put a wrap on this review, I will say I do like the movie a lot. It's fun. It's a really nice Friday night film to where you just want to lay back and laugh at a movie. I mean, this is the perfect one. If you like goofy characters, this is a gold mine. I do really like this film. I mean, I said before, I think two through six is this franchise's sweet spot. And then it starts getting into rocky territory, but we'll get to those. As for now, the next one's going to be part six. Until next time.